Welcome to Your Strata Property, the podcast for property owners looking for reliable, accurate and bite-sized information from an experienced and authoritative source. To access previous episodes and useful strata tips, go to www.yourstrataproperty.com.au. Hello and welcome. I'm Amanda Farmer and I have with me this week, Rena Van Alst. Hi, Rena. Hi, Amanda. How are you? I'm doing very well. Thank you very much. How has your week in Strata been? Yeah, busy actually. Um, it's been quite busy for the beginning of the year, which is probably good in some ways, but um, mm-hmm. it gets you back into the swing of things. But on the other hand, um, I hope it's not a sign of what's to come though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we generally find that January is a little bit cruisy, but yep, it doesn't take long to ramp up, does it? Well, traffic's actually wonderful. <laughs> That's all I can say. Traffic is one well. good thing. Yes, one good no thing. No traffic. Being around in January before school goes back. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Let's jump straight into our wins and challenges for the week. What is the challenge you'd like to share, Rena? This is an interesting one. It's actually relating to legal fees that remain outstanding to a legal firm that had been engaged by the Owners Corporation prior to our appointment. Mm -hmm. And basically, there was litigation between the Owners Corporation and one of the lot owners. And it actually ended up being a Supreme Court matter, which we obviously then just took over. And the committee then decided that the fees were actually quite high for what had been charged in terms of the Owners Corporation's legal fees. And we tried to negotiate with the lawyers by asking them if they want to have their costs assessed and even offering to pay 80% just so that they would get paid and, you know, and the whole matter would just Mm. be concluded. Anyway, so they refused to to have the costs assessed and we said, okay, well, we'll arrange the assessment. And between that happening, this was before Christmas, we were served with a statement of claim. And that was served by email and registered post and we did some investigation. I think, Amanda, I think I conferred with you about this. Basically, um, you can't serve a statement of claim by email unless the party's consent and therefore I think postage is assumed to be on the seventh working day after Mm -hmm. being posted. So that's not an issue within itself when you think about, you know, most companies were closing on the Friday before Christmas. So then when we got back to the office after our closure, we email the committee the same and a claim and they said, oh, can you send it to a lawyer, And which I did. And then after I get another call and this time the committee said, oh, no, we want you to use this other lawyer. So I had to then retract the instructions. <laughs> but anyway, they, they were off anyway, the legal firm, so it didn't really make any difference. But the legal firm that they're actually instructing me to liaise with Amanda is actually that the lawyer that was acting for the owner against the owner's corporation. So I don't know. Uh-huh. And the lawyer saying that they don't really have a conflict of interest. Now, I sent an email asking them to confirm that because I just don't really understand. Yes. It doesn't seem right to me because I don't know in terms of if they're going to they're gonna arrange the assessment, they said, and I don't know if, if that means that they'll be able to access, you know, solicitor client yes. correspondence. So have you ever sort of had that experience, Amanda, where someone who's acting against the owner's corporation says, oh, that they can now, there's no conflict, they can now act for the owner's corporation? For a cost matter? Not for a cost matter. Conflicts is something that comes up regularly in the work that we do simply because strata law being a pretty niche area of the law and if you're in a place like Sydney where you just have a handful of experienced strata lawyers, very often we are approached by lot owners or by buildings that we have in the past acted against and we have Mm. to really assess whether we think we have a conflict in acting in a new matter and the way that you assess that is to think about, well, do I have or am I likely to have 
possession of information documents that might be used against the other party and put me in a position of conflict where I can't properly advise my client whether that conflict exists now or might have the potential to exist in the future. Now, your situation, this is the same matter, isn't it? It's the well, cost. It's the cost aspect of the, the same cost matter. As- so they're right. being asked to advise in respect of costs that their opponent has charged in yeah. the matter in which they were involved. Yeah, exactly. And I can't see how they wouldn't have a conflict. Yeah, that's what I thought. But I mean, as a managing agent, I mean, it's not really my, I obviously you know, know a bit more about this than perhaps most people do, but I don't really think, Amanda, it's really my role as a managing agent acting in the messengers of the owners corporation to ask like, well, you know, you're saying you haven't got one. Yeah. But like how do I, I mean, I suppose I've just asked them to confirm it in writing and I'll go from there. But Yeah, because I would think surely they, being the other side to the proceedings, having received correspondence mm. from the lawyer, having been intimately involved in the proceedings. Yeah. How would they not be in possession of information? that could be to the detriment of their new client being the owner's corporation. And how are they, are the proceedings finished with yeah, the Yeah, they're finished. They're, they've okay. been concluded. This is just the cost aspect now that remains outstanding. Yeah, it'd be something that they would really have to think hard about. Mm. From your perspective of the strata manager, and for strata managers listening who might be in this kind of situation, whether and not necessarily about a cost assessment, but a lawyer saying, yes, I'll act for your owner's corporation and I don't think I have a conflict. I think as a strata manager, I would be saying, to the committee, I am concerned that Mm. this lawyer does have a conflict. Uh, Having been doing this for 20 years or so, uh, been through a cost assessment process, I can't see how the lawyer will not come unstuck, if you like, down the track because that's what we have to think about as lawyers, maybe not now but down the track. Am I going to have something that I can't use because it would breach the confidentiality of my other client? And then I have to engage somebody else then. then Exactly. Money wasted. Exactly. So all you can do is warn the committee and say, look, the lawyer says I don't have a conflict. I'm sceptical about that. Mm. Matter for you. You can accept the lawyers or you can take on board my scepticism, which comes from my experience, and choose someone completely independent. Yeah, that's a good Or proceed. And so when it all falls apart and the lawyer down the (laughs) track in two months' time says, oh, I've got this email but I can't use it because it would be to breach the confidentiality of my other client, Uh, I have a problem, you're going to have to go somewhere else, you can say, voila. Yeah, exactly. Sorry you had to spend that 10 grand that you're not going to get back, but maybe next time you'll have (laughs) Exactly. To me, the strata manager with the experience. That's what I would be doing as a strata manager. Yeah, thanks, man. And that's what I have been doing and I just Mm. thought, yeah, because it's quite unusual. I mean, I was actually, when when I spoke to the committee member who said to me, oh, he spoke to the lawyer and said there's no conflict, I thought, what doesn't sound right? I'm like, I'm not an expert, but it didn't didn't sound right. But anyway, we'll see how it goes. Yep, let us know. Yeah. All right. Well, my challenge for this week, uh, I was recently involved in an AGM where it was proposed to appoint a new managing agent. And the motion on the agenda was to appoint the new managing agent for a term that was expressed to be until the next AGM. No, I don't. I had, never, <laughs> I, well, I had never seen that before. And usually, uh, for those who may not be experienced in these matters, an agency agreement will say it's for a term of one year, two years, or three years, three years being the maximum that we can now have in New South Wales. But this one said the term is until the next AGM. Now, bear in mind that 
An AGM doesn't have to be held at a particular time anymore. A building just has to make sure that they have an AGM in each financial year. Yeah. Yep. So it's a very indefinite term, I would think, until the next AGM. It could be 12 months, but it could be two years if the AGM was stretched out. I don't believe that's valid, Amanda, because the Act specifically says that you've got to, I probably have to check the Property Stock and Business Agents Act, which deals with this, but the Strata Students Management Act refers to the maximum duration of a contract. So, and that's why also, let's say it's a 12-month contract, and then you've got to give three months' notice to the Strata Committee that it's basically going to expire in three months, and then they can extend it by periods of up to three months mm. to the next AGM. But that's a very good point uh, because you wouldn't know necessarily three months out when the AGM is going to be held. So you wouldn't be able no. to give that notice exactly. because you don't have certainty as to the expiry date of your agreement. It might be that the contract, from a legal perspective, it might be that the contract is void for uncertainty. Yeah, exactly. I mean, mm. I don't think that's correct at all. And I think that's, it's funny because I'm actually noticing, I had a client contact me for another building that they own in another strata scheme. And they were saying to me, they sent me a copy of their agenda for for their appointment of a new managing agent. And there was no contract attached to that, to that <laughs> agenda, Amanda. And they say, oh, I tabled at the meeting. So maybe that, this is a podcast for another day. But um, yeah, I think it's quite common that that's been happening. And I'm not really sure how people can basically make a comparison between various managers or even the one that they've been provided in the agenda. If there's no information about their fees, the duration of the contract. Yeah, you don't know what <laughs> the terms are. Exactly, well, I don't know. Yeah, I have been in at least two meetings where that's been an issue, where there has mm. been an appointment proposed and no agreement attached, and I have urged the chairperson to rule the motion out of order, and mm. I've referred to Section 49 of the Act, which says that the appointment of a strata manager is to be made by instrument in writing authorised by a resolution of the owners' corporation in general meeting. Rating, so what exactly. you're actually doing is authorizing the instrument. That's right. And how can you authorize an instrument that you don't have or haven't exactly. seen or don't know exists or don't know the terms? Well, it's like of. passing a bylaw. That's what I'm going to attach the agenda. It's saying passing a bylaw, Amanda, about A, B, and C, and there's nothing yep. apart saying saying it's about the rooftop, but nothing more than that. Yeah, so. exactly right. So I do think that Section 49.2 gives you that direction that you mm. need to be attaching agency agreements to agendas to make it a valid motion to appoint yes. a strata manager. Yeah, and I would, in the situations I've been involved in, it's been lot owners who've engaged me who don't want a particular manager appointed or yeah. reappointed, and it's been a very easy way for me to make sure that manager is not appointed because they're stuffed up. They haven't put yeah. all their committee stuffed up there by not instructing that that agreement be attached attached and it's the, but the, the matter it's order. actually not the committee because that half the time the committee aren't really aware of the legal processes that mm. are involved in True. the appointment of a managing agent sometimes it's the other man managing agent that doesn't want the incumbent to know what mm. their terms and conditions are and what they're charging which is pretty stupid because end of the day when you get the books and records that should be in there anyway and also what i've noticed in, in some companies and i've had to basically go back and say um you can take out all your your proposals and all your company stuff and whatever you you want but you can't take out the agency agreement i mean that's actually part mm. of the meeting it was approved at a meeting you can't just take it out of the files yeah so. well i would think anything that's been put to the owners corporation or the committee for consideration whatever it's a quote from a contractor a proposal yeah. a tender they're all records of the owners corporation they should yeah, all be I, think, I think there's a real misunderstanding in terms of the law of agency man i think managing agents really understand that they're just the custodians mm. of someone else's information it's not their information yep and it's just, I think, in terms of just when you take on new schemes, you just see that more and more. 
I'm yet, uh, it's probably only one company that I've dealt with that actually understands the law and every other company, they just give you bits and pieces. You, you don't get emails, you don't get this, you get, you know, like an export of whatever document management system they're using and it just says doc, dot, you know, so you've got to open up every single document to find out it's horrible. what exactly. And you're charging, you have to charge the building for that work. Yeah, well, I mean, sometimes it's hard because mm. there's just so much, you know, you, yeah, sometimes you have to charge because the, the time spent just trying to, go through the information that's been given to you it can be quite time consuming it could be you know it could be days mm. of opening documents and and also someone said to me because in a sense we we're actually writing to, to an agent asking for some records that hadn't been provided and so I said well you know like well how do you know that you don't have it I said well sometimes you don't know until you need something around that you haven't got it so yes. sometimes you don't know it's not there until there's a reason to access that information mm. So, very yeah, true. Just, that yeah. I, I think that's a whole topic in itself, and I'll, yeah. I'll put that on our list for a future episode. That handover process oh. from a former manager to a new manager—that's great for our strata manager listeners to get some tips on, and also our committee members to understand what's going on in the background when you do terminate or then an agreement comes to an end for your current mm. strata manager. You've got a new one because there's often delay, takes time for accounts to be closed and then open. Yeah, bank accounts to be closed, new check to mm. yeah, the closing check to be receive from the bank and all that yeah, sort of thing. Yeah, we can go through yeah. All right, it's on the list. On Stay the tuned. List. <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's uh, change track and chat about your win for the week, Rena. Yeah, so we've had an apartment in one of our schemes that has had some water leaking into the apartment beside it and now more recently into the apartment below. And the building manager has been trying unsuccessfully to try and obtain access and, and there's a bit of a, a rift between this particular owner and, and building manager. And so, unfortunately, you know, he said, you know, can you please help me? I just can't get in. And the other agent, also the adjoining lot, has written to me saying, we've got water penetration, our tenant's asking for lots of rent, et cetera. So, mm. um, I had to end up writing a letter just to say, well, basically, if you don't provide access, we'll have to go to the tribunal. And also, we, we, we gave seven days notice because under the Residential Tenancy Act, you've got to give a tenant seven days notice before as a landlord, you can even go in or an agent can go in. Mm. So, yeah, so within the hour, you know, we got a response and access was provided. But um, unfortunately, sometimes when there are personality conflicts or just even conflicts between lot owners and building managers, it can really affect the running of the building. Because in this case, I think there was an animosity mm. between them and man. And I think that, you know, that's why access wasn't provided. And then therefore, there was loss and damage occurring in adjoining apartments and those underneath. So, mm. Often yeah, the case, it was just I didn't it? have to, you know, it's just horrible when you have to go to the tribunal and lodge applications. It's costly. It's, yeah. So, yeah, it was just and it doesn't, doesn't always help things to move faster, that's for sure. No. So, anyway, that was a good win. I thought it was a quick one, actually. <laughs> yeah. And man. so, your your letter basically told the owner that you you did have that right to go to the tribunal to seek an order yeah. for access. And if they don't provide it, that was your next step. And then they... Yeah. And I also uh, provided an exit to the email from the agent of the adjoining building describing, you know, what conditions were occurring in, in that apartment mm. and the fact that the owner was facing a loss of rent claims. So, I, I tried yes. to sort of say, well, this is quite serious now like not just about water leaking it's like it's really getting yeah and so thankfully um yeah she agreed and it was an access was obtained the next day Mm. for uh, those listeners who may not be across that section of the act which allows you to go to the tribunal to obtain an access order it's section 124 in our act in new south wales and it says that the tribunal may on application by an owners corporation make an order requiring the occupier of a lot to allow access for the purpose of, and there's a, a list of a few things, but basically in your situation, Rena, it was for the purpose of allowing the owner 
homeowners corporation to carry out its duty to repair the common property. There, mm. I imagine, being some failure in waterproofing. Yeah, well, not, well, I think we, from what I understand, it may be the renovation that the owner completed in her bathroom. So it might not even oh, be that okay. issue. So it could even get worse. Right, okay. But you've got to <laughs> investigate that as a first step, yeah, really. See, I mean, yeah, is yep. it an owner's corporation problem or is it the owner's problem? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. I've uh, recently been involved with a building where an owner was alleging a water leak within their garage and had sent pictures that there was water leaking in their garage. It's not clear whether it's coming from the slab above or whether it's coming from a pipe that's running through the garage and then showing some damage to their goods that's happening in the garage because of the leak and some mold that's growing. Uh, and the owners corporation then proceeded to say, well, yes, we'll send our plumber in to have a look. Let us know when you're available to grant access. And this owner has, for whatever reason, uh, known only to this owner, refused to allow access. Mm. And this owner's corporation said to me, well, Amanda, you know, what obligation do we have to force some kind of access? And I've said, well, it's water that is not affecting anybody anybody else. else, Unlike Mm. your example, Rena, where it's going into another lot. We've asked everyone around that garage, are you having water leaks? No. It doesn't seem to be having any impact on the common property or other lots or other people. So I said, well, why would we go to the expense of making an application seeking an access order? Um, This owner is going to continue to suffer their own damage if their goods are being wet, of course, and subject to mould. But other than saying that, you know, this is if you don't let us in, we can't help you. Yeah, Um, exactly. That's all we can do. So good to draw a distinction between those situations where um, there's an obvious failure in the common property that's going to affect either another lot or other parts of the common property or get worse and something that an owner is alleging is happening within their lot but not providing you access so that you can determine that. Yeah, you can't really do much. (laughs) Can't really do much. That's it. Okay, my win for this week, I wanted to have a chat about a two-lot strata scheme, one owner of which has come and approached me about how best to manage a renovation. And Rena, I'm not sure whether you manage any two lot schemes, but I'm sure you've had some experience of them in mm. your time as a strata manager. Those small schemes often have the biggest problems. Yeah, I've only actually been asked to, I mean, I've been asked to manage them, but I, I try not to, but I've, I've been doing a lot of consulting actually, because I think mm. sometimes they just need that, like one party needs that help. Yeah, so they unfortunately when there's a problem in a two-lot scheme, a dispute, a personality clash, because there's only two owners, they are very hard to resolve, Mm. often becoming tractable. And, of course, if you have meetings and you're trying to get something done, you can have a deadlock very easily if the unit entitlements, Mm. as they usually are, are equal. So uh, I do get involved in uh, in these situations, sadly, where there's NCAP proceedings or disputes in two-lot schemes. But this one was a little bit more positive, and that's why I've listed it as a win. This owner's recognised that they want to do some renovation work. They've looked at the bylaws, which is simply the model bylaws from the 96 Act. They have no other real bylaws. They've got obviously the strata plan that shows where their boundaries are. And they've said, well, we want to do a bathroom, a kitchen. We want to remove some walls. We're obviously going to affect the common property. So we're going to need some kind of a bylaw. But in the meantime, is there a way, because we're a two-lot scheme, is there a way that we can make very clear that each owner is responsible for the common property that is immediately adjacent to their lot? So, for example, can we say that the waterproofing in the bathrooms is the responsibility of the owners, that the ceilings, that the floors, that the laundry, the tiles – If there's ever a problem, if there's ever a leak, it's the responsibility of the lot owner, which 
kind of makes sense because we're in a yeah. two-lot scheme. We're not really affecting the other. Uh, yeah. We're not really paying levies. We pay a, an insurance premium for the insurance, the building insurance, which we must have under the Act, that particular type of policy. But can we achieve this uh, separate togetherness, if you like? And I've mm. said, yes, you can. And I think you do that by way of a bylaw. So we know in our Act, we have this ability, which we've always had for the owner's corporation to specially resolve that it will not repair or maintain a specified part of the common property. Mm -hmm. And that's now in our section 106, used to be section 62.3, it's 106.5 or something like that now. An owner's corporation has always been able to remove its obligation to repair or maintain a specified part of the property, but only if it will not affect the safety of the building or the uh, structure of the building. Integrity, yeah. Yeah. So how do you ensure that it's not going to affect safety or structure? Well, you pass that responsibility on to the lot owners. So if you say the owner's corporation is not going to, for example, deal with bathroom membranes in this two lot scheme, then you must also have a bylaw whereby the lot owners take responsibility for dealing with their own bathroom membranes and provide yeah. their written consent to that. So um, this particular lot owner has now asked me to draw up that all encompassing bylaw that my short summary of it is that it makes the lot owners individually responsible for those parts of the common property that are immediately adjacent to their lot. And we'll set those out with some specificity and each lot owner can sense to that and away they go. They're able to then uh, forevermore until that bylaw is amended or repealed, look after their own little part of the world. Hmm, that's a great idea, Amanda. I think it also minimises so many future disputes between existing and, and other owners. Hmm. Um, what about the, obviously with the annual fire safety statement, even though a two-lot scheme would have very minimal fire hmm. safety equipment like, say, smoke alarms and hmm. fire doors and potentially some exit signs maybe at the back, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, so obviously that would still be under the Arts Corporation's responsibility since it has to submit the annual fire safety statement to council and not individual members. Yeah, we probably wouldn't deal with anything that relates to fire yeah. safety and we'd yeah. only be covering things that we specify. So the things that I yeah. thought of so far was obviously that waterproofing, original tiles and uh, internal walls where they meet the floor because where you're removing an internal wall, where it meets mm. the floor or the ceiling, you're going to be affecting the... Common yeah, property. exactly. So floors, ceilings. What about windows? Yeah, windows. Yeah. But what if they didn't? They didn't change. Like you know, I mean, obviously with a two lot scheme, you want that uniformity, mm. Amanda, and mm. an architectural integrity. I mean, wouldn't you want the Arts Corporation to still have control to make sure that there is that? Because mm. I mean, one person could make it, like you know, louvers, and one could have. True. You know, true. And it, yeah. Like a, well, that's gonna that's gonna be a matter for them, I suppose. I'm not sure mm. that they would be too worried. I haven't been out to see the building, but if you think yeah. about it. Why is it any different to, say, a duplex uh, that is not strata title or a semi-detached residence that is not strata title? And we have plenty of those in Sydney and they each look completely different to each other. They're attached yeah, but, but think, they're different yeah, properties. Think, yeah. Oh, yeah, I know that but I think with a duplex it's a bit different because duplex has that, that uniformity that, you know, you can mm. you can tell when there's a duplex because they – have that similar yeah or well, some people like, like the to one paint building but one lives colors. upstairs and one is down that's how i sort of look at it yeah or you have one next to the other yeah side by side one yeah, wants to paint yeah. there's orange and the other one wants to yeah but paint i mean i've this. seen those and it looks so like, i mean i was there's this one down here in rose bay and, and one side looks like nice and modern the other side looks like oh, yeah. yeah, oh my god yeah. and to me it's like 
you, know, you wouldn't want to, I don't know, I just think it's, mm, in other cities in the world, especially like say in the UK and Ireland, there's far more uniformity of architecture than there is in Sydney. Mm. I mean, Sydney, it's, it's a real hodgepodge. Yeah. Well, it might be something that, that you specify as long as it doesn't affect the external appearance of the building. Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah. I mean, you can change as long as you, it's within keeping so mm. that, like you have in community associations where everything, you know, yes. has to maintain a certain look. Yeah. yeah it does affect the value actually. The yes, external appearance, does. yeah, street It doesn't matter because sometimes people won't buy in if something looks marginally different oh, yeah. to them a lot. It can oh, affect yeah. the sale of that. Like the person that's done the right thing and kept it architecturally um, the same, mm. but the other person hasn't and they're trying to sell and then they say, well, I don't want to live in a building where someone else above me looks like the poor cousin, etc." <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. And then we come back to things like washing on balconies and <laughs> all that, <laughs> that's all external appearance stuff, yes. Yeah. All right. So, yeah, I can give you an update on how the wording of that bylaw pans out, but I thought that was a really good idea. And anyone who is in a two-lot scheme, um, you know, it's not always doom and gloom when you buy into these schemes and go, oh, my gosh, I didn't realise it was strata and I didn't realise my neighbour was going to be a pain in the neck. There are ways. uh, And and often, I think you have had this question before as well, Rena, often these two-lot schemes want to get rid of the strata structure and become completely separate. But that's a matter for the local council and councils generally, in my experience, do not facilitate that kind of a change because of lot sizes or whatever it is that's in their planning instruments. So how do we achieve some independence, some autonomy without having to make those planning changes? Well, bylaws are always a good instrument for that. Mm, I was, every time I walk past a duplex, I always think, unless you own both of them, don't buy into one of those. Yeah, yeah, I kind of agree, I have to say. Okay, well, awesome. That was a fab episode for our January 2019. Lovely to be getting right back into it. Yeah, it's just very strange about it to be writing 2019. I keep writing 2018. <laughs> we'll get there. We always do. Yeah, you do. <laughs> After the first few weeks, it sinks in. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right, well, have a great week, Rena. I'll catch you next time. You too, Amanda. Okay, bye. Okay, bye. Thank you for listening to Your Strata Property, the podcast which consistently delivers to property owners reliable and accurate information about their strata property. You can access all the information below this episode via the show notes at www.yourstrataproperty.com.au. You can also ask questions in the comments section, which Amanda will answer in her upcoming episodes. How can Amanda help you today? today?